Thank you for joining us for another of Atid's uh, podcasts on recent books relevant to the field of Jewish education. Um, we are speaking uh, today with uh, uh, Rabbi Dr. Svi Leshem, um, uh, one of the students of uh, Rav Shagar, Rav Shimon Gershon Rosenberg, Zichrono uh, Livracha, um, regarding his recent book, Betorato Yehege, Limud Gemara Kevakashat Elohim, uh, and you shall be involved in his study, the study of Gemara as uh, a search for God, uh, which really deals with a central question in uh, not only in pedagogy, not only in teaching, but in learning Gemara about methods, about goals, about ends. Um, and, uh, and Rav Shagar brings a unique perspective to these questions and his book, which uh, I really found myself reading through extremely rapidly, fascinated by, uh, created a lively discussion among uh, friends and colleagues who had read it. Uh, and unfortunately, Rav Shagar is really not well known outside of certain circles in Israeli religious Zionism. And part of the reason why we're having this conversation today is uh, a little bit of an introduction to Rav Shagar as an individual and his thought and the place that he has taken uh, in religious Zionist conversation in the past few years. Uh, Rav Shagar was born in, in 1950 in uh, Eretz Israel and passed away uh, uh, from, of cancer uh, uh, in 2007. Uh, really as his role as a leading pedagogue and thinker in religious Zionism was on the rise uh, and his death uh, a few years ago was perceived by his students by the religious Zionist community as a whole, as a real tragedy, as a loss, not only at the individual and familial level, but as if the community, the community as a whole had lost one of its most creative uh, and innovative minds, a person who, although he uh, is no longer with us, his writings and his ideas continue to be uh, extremely alive. Uh, he studied in Yeshiva Karen Biavne and he was involved in teaching uh, and in learning in Yeshiva Takotel in, uh, in Beit Morasha and eventually in 1996 he founded Yeshiva Tziach uh in Efrat um, uh, which continues uh, uh, to exist today uh, under the leadership of Rav Yair uh, Dreyfus um, he was uh, in addition to his traditional Yeshiva background he was also an autodidact a really enormous proportion and, and read, read widely in philosophy uh, in general philosophy in Jewish philosophy in Hasidut in, uh, in history uh, and he was interested in the interplay of Lamdanut, traditional Gemara learning with Hasidut with postmodern thinking um, uh, and with philosophy in general. He's published many books both during his lifetime and, uh, and posthumously now, much of his writing has been published and is continuing to be published, including Kelim Shvurim, which deals with religious faith in an age of doubt and postmodern relativism. Uh, Pur Huha Goral, which deals with the story of Purim. Reim Ahuvim, which deals with marriage and relationships. Uh, and this essay, uh, this book, Betarato Yehegeh, uh, which uh, was published uh, very recently and has received a great deal of attention uh, in Israel um, uh, is based, broadly speaking, 
on a series of lectures he gave in Beit Marashah on the meaning of Gemara learning and Gemara teaching, uh, which he later turned into a, uh, a draft of a manuscript. And his student Zohar Ma'or uh, did some final editing on during Rav Shagar's sickness uh, and uh, after his death, and which uh, has uh, recently come out again, as I mentioned, um, uh, as I mentioned, uh, as a separate book, to a great deal of attention uh, in and outside uh, the religious Zionist community. We're sitting uh, with Rabbi Dr. Tzvi Leshem, who has been studying in Yeshivat uh, Tziach Yitzchak in various capacities in their Machon Mechkar, in their research institute, uh, for some time. Um, and he has joined us for a discussion of this book and Rav Shagar uh, in general. Um, I'm wondering if you could start by describing a little bit Rav Shagar as a person and what attracted you to him when you first uh, came in contact with him and how you found yourself in his circle of students. My first uh, connection with Rav Shagar was not as a student, but as uh, actually he was working for me. And I was the associate dean of Nishmat in the mid-90s. He came to teach uh, both Kamara and Machshava, primarily Hasidut, for the uh, more advanced Israeli students of what was then called the Machona Gavoa. So I knew him as a, as a colleague, and, uh, and I immediately picked up on the fact that this is a person who uh, had an extremely wide and deep knowledge of uh, Machshava in general, and Hasidut in particular, which interested me personally very much. So I began to sit in on the shiurim and to uh, speak with him as much as possible whenever I had a chance. And it was natural then a couple of years later when I was on uh, sabbatical that I spent a lot of my time studying at Yeshivat Siach uh, and uh, years later came back to be uh, a research fellow at the Yeshiva. So I would say I was attracted by the depth of his knowledge, the, the way that he managed to synthesize Machshava um, and Gemara, though that I only realized later when I came to the Yeshiva in a, in a way which didn't seem superficial, which is what I usually found amongst people who tried to do that, but seemed uh, uh, real, true, meaningful, uh, and not just uh, a lot of uh, what we call vortlach or pshetlach or just little uh, sermonic uh, comments in a meaningful way. He also, at that time, before he got into postmodern uh, philosophy, was very interested in existential philosophy, existentialist philosophy, and he spoke a lot, and this came out in a lot of his Gemarsha, and especially in Rabbi Nachman, with whom he had a very special uh, connection, so to speak. Uh, he spoke a lot about existentialist issues that concerned a lot of people, about uh, depression, about uh, loneliness, about feelings of alienation, and a number of those issues were things that also struck a chord with me at the time, and so I also found that that uh, was also meaningful in the kind of teaching that he was doing. There are a lot of Rashi Yeshiva uh, and Talmidei Chachamim who, in addition to straight Gemara teaching, uh, have a Haguti element, uh, have a Drashot element, have a worldview that they try to articulate to their students. Uh, in fact, it's almost impossible for Rashi Yeshiva not to have some kind of vision for, for some kind of religious ideal. But th- there's a sense that Rav Shagar represented something different that he wasn't just another Rosh Yeshiva, uh, that there was something uh, qualitatively different 
that he was he was doing something uh, alternative that 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 could appeal to people who were frustrated with the standard issue religious Zionist ideology uh, and and the standard issue lumbus. Uh, in what way was he? Different, and how did he represent that to people? Maybe I'll, maybe I'll start with a quote uh, uh, about him. At the right before he died, there was a big uh, gathering of uh, close to 2,000 people that was held to daven for his refuah. Uh, this was before Shavuot in the summer of 2007, and uh, Rav Amital spoke there, and he compared Rav Shagar to Rabbi Meir, that uh, whose colleagues uh, couldn't really understand him, and then he said. Uh, uh, when we look at, post at uh, postmodernism, uh, all of us see uh, darkness, but Rav Shagar sees light. That was his example of how he was like Rabbi Meir. But I'd like to leave that postmodernism uh, aside for a moment. Um, by way of comparison, many years ago I attended the of a very famous Rosh Hashim, who was certainly a Gadol and is known for having very, very wide knowledge of, uh, of general philosophy and literature. And, uh, he gave both a Chumashir and a Gemarashir back to back. In the Chumashir, there was a tremendous amount of uh, references to general philosophy and literature that I felt really enriched the Shur and made it very, very enjoyable, whereas none of that ever made its way into the Gemarashir, which was a strictly uh, brisker Shur. And, uh, and, and, I, and I didn't find that same sense of specialness that, uh, that I had hoped for. Um, Rav Shagar, First of all, besides being a very, very uh, brilliant person, and as was pointed out, an autodidact that seemed to know a lot about everything, and in a very, uh, very serious way, um, he was a great synthesizer of Dreyfus, the, his Chagruta uh, for 40 years, and Korosh Yeshiva, now the Rosh Yeshiva of Seyat Yitzchak, said that his greatness was bringing different worlds together. So if, uh, in terms of his worlds, that would include besides uh, regular Yeshivish Lundis and all the other branches of Torah knowledge, also uh, university-type academic Talmud study that we'll come back to in a few minutes in more detail, uh, general philosophy and psychology, and as I said before, a very great adept in Kabbalah and Hasidut, and he really tried to bring all these things together. So in, in his uh, Gemara Shiur, all of these things were brought together um, in a way that, as I said before, seemed to be a serious synthesis, not just uh, a kind of a, a, a bunching together of a lot of disparate ideas in a superficial way. And uh, he was really uh, willing to try new things. He's also, we should remember, uh, one of the things we take for granted now, I think, in the Datilumi world in Israel, is the extent to which the uh, Hasidic or neo-Hasidic phenomenon is so widespread, to what extent it seems like everyone is learning Svadimad and Rabbi Nachman and Meshiloach and, uh, and uh, now the Piyasetzner and Chabad Hasidus and how much that affects uh, a lot of the yeshivot and a lot of the Avodat Hashem of a lot of young people especially. He's really, perhaps more than anyone else, the father of that uh, phenomenon. Uh, I just, uh, the summer read the drashot that he gave when he was Rosh Hashivat HaKotel in 1982, he took Rav Hadari's place for a year, when he was a very young man. And that's really the earliest uh, written Torah that we have from him. Uh, it was uh, sort of the seeds of what he later came to do. And it was amazing that at that early stage, and as a very young man, you could already see the tremendous depths of, uh, 
Hasidic ideas permeating all of the uh, discussions, and he's one of the main pers- people who really opened up this whole type of learning and way of Avodah Hashem combined with Rav Kook in a way that makes it uh, what we would call Torah Eretz Yisrael in a way that's had tremendous influence. Now, not, er- not everyone likes that phenomenon, but uh, there's no doubt that it's a significant factor in the Israeli scene today. Not well, my, my sense is in part that many of the people who are opposed to the neo-Hasidic trends or are skeptical of the neo-Hasidic trends uh, in contemporary religious Zionism take that attitude because they see that it lacks depth and seriousness. It's, a, it's replacing Talmud Torah at a high level and Vodat Hashem uh, of serious introspection mm-hmm. with singing, dancing, lightheadedness, self-centeredness, and, and if, uh, certainly you could not accuse Rav Shagar of, right. uh, uh, he was equally right. opposed to lightheadedness Absolutely. and lack so of Rav Shagar actually was that a very, very serious person. His personal style was extremely serious. He would quote, uh, there's a quote from the Magid of Mezrich, also from one of the, uh, I don't remember which one, one of the middle, in the middle range of the Rebbe's of Chabad, who spoke about the, the real understanding of Sitre Torah, of Kabbalistic secrets, can only come for a person who uh, has even a touch of melancholy, who's a very, very serious person. He was a very serious person. He was not at all a light or frivolous person. Um, and he also stated, and I heard him state this uh, not long before his death, that he couldn't imagine a yeshiva that was not built primarily on... Uh, on the Talmudic iun, on in-depth Talmudic learning, and he even said that the yeshiva in that sense has to remain basically, in a sense, a kind of a misnagdic uh, institution and not become a Hasidic institution, but all that Hasidut is, uh, is part of it, it can't replace the real thing. I'll tell you a, a funny anecdote, once he was giving a Gemara Shir in the yeshiva, and one of the Avrechim showed up kind of in the middle, and he had... Uh, just gotten engaged. And of course, everyone knows when someone comes into yeshiva just getting engaged, it's always a big thing. Of course, this is in the middle of the shibor. And this uh, student kind of uh, planted himself outside the Beit Midrash in one of the classrooms with, uh, I think he wants to make a l'chaim or something like that. And there was this kind of, it was a little bit uh, funny, but there was this kind of a question of like, wh- wh- who's in charge here and where uh, should people be? Should they be, you know, interrupting shibor to go make a l'chaim? Uh, with this fellow, or should they be staying in Gamarshir? And at one point, uh, Rosh Shagar said to someone, go and tell him that Rabbeinu is here. And then Rabbeinu, I believe, was a reference to Rabbi Nachman, uh, who also this particular student was very fond of, that Rabbeinu is here. Rabbeinu is in the Gamarshir. He's not cutting out in the middle to go make a l'chaim. That will have to wait until later. So, uh, you're right. The neo-Hasidic uh, trend of Rosh Shagar was very serious. On the other hand, uh, he always been totally unpredictable. Once said to me that he thought that the Na Na Nachman people, who everyone uh, kind of no one takes too seriously in a certain sense, that in, that they were a refreshing addition to the uh, to the religious uh, uh, note to the religious uh, landscape. Landscape, and uh, you know, he had a very wide uh, perspective that has had room for for a lot of different phenomena to be legitimized. Um, he was also controversial, um, uh, meaning there, were, there was more than one mainstream Talmud Chacham within the religious Zionist world. My sense is in the Yeshiva world and the Haredi world, they didn't really and still don't know who he is. But within religious Zionism, there was more than one Rosh Yeshiva, uh, Talmud Chacham, uh, educator, 
who, great respect and with uh, an awareness of the depth and seriousness of the person, felt that he had gone in directions that were potentially dangerous, were already dangerous, were misguided. Right. Um, before answering that, maybe I'll go back to what you mentioned, the Haredi world. It's, it's worth noting that he also, um, while he was educated in mainstream uh, Zionist institutions, or mostly Karim Yad, a little bit in Merkaz Arab, and then in Yishvara Kotel, he had close Sharim with some of the Haredi Gedol and Shlomo Fisher, Shlit, he considered his Rebbe of Guzman Zatzal, of Nevinsal, Shlit, he's close to... So I don't want to say who's crazy and who's not. Everyone here is an interesting character, but uh, he definitely had a very healthy respect for the Haredi world, although he certainly didn't feel part of it. Um, the controversy really uh, is interesting because it comes from several different directions. Uh, if we want to look at, for example, the world of, uh, of Merkaz Arab, where he did a brief stint before going to Yeshiva Kotel, there you have... Uh, there he was, first of all, politically incorrect, because he was a little bit more, uh, more uh, left-wing politically, although I don't think that's the big issue, than the uh, usual perspective. Uh, but certainly there, his openness to academics and uh, philosophical and general studies is certainly uh, not what you'd expect to find, to find there. The more interesting controversies, of course, with more mainstream um, Yeshivot and, and Lamdanim and the more, uh, what's perceived as the more liberal end of the spectrum of religious Zionism in Israel, some of the Hesri Yeshivot, where the, a lot of the controversial really had to do with his Gemara study. And uh, certainly the great defenders of the Brisker tradition um, were opposed both to his introduction of, um, of Talmudic uh, scholarship, academic scholarship into the Gemara Shirik, the Beit Midrash, uh, as well as his introduction of philosophy to the uh, discourse of Gemara. So I pointed out before the the other Rosh Hashiva that I that I studied with, uh, who had uh, made a dichotomy between his uh, academic philosophical studies, who were, which I assume were perceived as being softer and could be applied to Machshav Israel and to Chumash and Tanakh, but not to Gemara. And the Gemara, which had to be done in strictly uh, uh, brisker fashion. Uh, so I think Rav Shagar's uh, willingness to bring into the Beit Midrash literature and psychology and philosophy and Hasidut in the way that he did combined with uh, academics was basically seen as a very radical departure from the type of uh, education that the classic Hester Yeshivot uh, we're offering, as well as the uh, neo-Hasidic style that has been pointed out. Many people found to be superficial uh, or distracting from proper learning and, and the other criticisms that might be uh, felt as well that also uh, didn't go over very well. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the core of the book is, is almost historical, not historical in the sense of names, dates, places, but it's kind of an intellectual history of Lundus from the Gerah until today. And uh, again, it's not, about, it's not about who became the Rosh Hashiva in which year and how many students. And, and it's, not, uh, uh, it's certainly not uh, Shaul Stempfer's fascinating and brilliant work on, on the Yeshiva world. Um, but it revolves around a kind of triad, what he calls motivation, method, and ideology. If you want to know what's going on in a particular yeshiva, uh, in a particular atmosphere, in a particular way of doing Gemara learning, you need to understand the motivation to learn, 
the method that they use and the ideology that they use to explain it. And he goes through from the Grat, Rav Chaim, to the Ishim Velazhin, tells, um, uh, um, and, and, try, and moves on into the contemporary Yeshiva world and the religious Zionist world. Um, can you describe this kind of triad, the motivation, method, ideology, and how he uses it as a lens toward understanding what happens in a Beit Drash? Uh, I can try. I, I wanted to say that the, in terms of the book, even if you only read that first half of the book without getting to anywhere to his own proposals uh, or how he synthesizes things, it's an absolutely fascinating tour de force of these trends in yeshiva learning in the last 200 years that's uh, a brilliant analysis uh, and fascinating without any uh, any of the practical applications that he brings in the second half of the book. Dealing, uh, as you point out, with... Uh, the Gra, Rav Chaim of Velazhin, the Nitziv, and then primarily uh, Rav Chaim Brisker, Rav Yisrael Salanter, um, Rav Shimon Shkap, Rav Cook, and Rav Soloveitchik, um, and then with uh, academic Talmudic study. Basically, his argument is that uh, every one of these, and this is really, in a sense, the, as you could say, the archaeology that he does in each one of these, uh, with each one of these gedolim, is to uncover their underlying religious ideology, or we might call hashkafa, the motivation that they then bring from that ideology to Gemar study, or the way they want to use Gemar study to um, support or to, uh, to uh, enhance the religious ideology that they believe in, and then how that is applied through the method of learning. So if we, if we take Brisk for, as, a, as an example, that's really one of the main examples that he focuses on, he describes a certain kind of religious ideology here that has to do with uh, what he calls a, a closed circle of creating a kind of Torah truth which is unrelated to objective historical or real, realistic truth um, that's going on. And he sees a lot of things that are reactions in one way or another to the Haskalah and the threats to traditional Judaism. Um, by, uh, by creating this uh, ide- religious ideology that is meant to block out what's going on in the broader world. And this, of course, has great influences on what today would be called the Haredi Lithuanian uh, yeshiva world. Uh, the, me- the motivation to the methodology then becomes a type of Gemara study which divorces the text from external reality takes away any historical uh, appreciation of the development of the text or the sources that go into making up the text, and set in that sense flattens the, uh, all of the material and deals primarily with the conclusions, not with the, necessarily with the development within the sugya. Uh, and then that ultimately as well leads to a certain motivation amongst, which is, uh, which is promoted amongst the students to accept this because it helps them to, uh, to fortify the worldview or the Ashkafah, the ideology that they've uh, received or that they believe in and makes their Gemara learning supportive of that uh, ideology and motivates them. If we look at that against the background of the tremendous uh, uh, condemnation of Beetle Torah that we find in uh, the Nefesh Shachayim, which, which is obviously the stage before you divide into Brisk or other, uh, other schools like Tells, so then uh, once you have the motivation to avoid Beetle Torah as being in the background for all kinds of Kabbalistic reasons, 
which don't influence uh, Rav Chaim Brisker, then uh, you can create a whole society of young Talmidei Chacham or B'nai Torah who uh, have bought into an ideological uh, Hashkafa system to which the Gemara style that they study uh, reflects and gives them tremendous motivation to excel in it. Yeah. Rav Shakar then, in kind of what you call the second half, is, is not so much a critique of that system in and of itself, but a critique of its possibility for a graduate of the religious Zionist school system. And the claim is that, that, um, that the ideology and the motivation uh, and the method are really incompatible with the religious Zionist w- implicit worldview of a graduate of the religious Zionist Yeshiva High School for whom the world of Reelia is, is really important and can't be bracketed. So uh, how does he deal with that tension? Right. So I should point out before that in a certain sense of this book, being, as you said, a combination of various lectures that were given over a number of years in the Beit Morishah and uh, earlier articles, is an attempt to deal with what's often referred to as the Gemara crisis in the religious Zionist world. Uh, the famous quote, I don't know how accurate it is, they say that, that the polls consistently show that the most hated study of all the Bogrut matriculation exam studies in Yeshiva high schools is Gemara, which is obviously uh, not a particularly uh, positive thing. But uh, so Shagari is trying to deal with, a, with uh, a, a real problem, an educational problem that he wants to offer an alternative to. And his feeling was, and this is based largely on his own experiences growing up in First Matif Meir and Karen Biyavna, where, by the way, in his time, certainly all the, the Rosh Yeshiva and most of the Ramim in these institutions were all graduates of, uh, of Haredi, Litvish Yeshivot, and that's exactly the type of methodology and, and largely the Hashkafa that they brought to their students, that there was a tremendous dissonance between the experience of the... Uh, of the Zionist youth who came from a much more open place, who studied secular studies half the day while in high school, who was exposed to modern culture, uh, literature, uh, later television, today, of course, films and internet and, uh, and a much wider range of, of uh, literature, etc. That basically, his point was that most of these students, even those who seem to excel at it and become Talmudic Chachamim themselves and Rabbanim themselves, never really identified fully with the type of learning they were doing and that the assumptions, the, both the distinction between uh, what was done at Beit Midrash and what was going on in the outside world and the cutting off the historical or realistic issue which raised the question of what does the lambdas have to do with reality? What does it have to do with halachic reality? What does it have to do with scientific reality? Uh, were questions that had to be addressed. There's a quote from, he has a book, Avuchad Mavet, which is an example uh, of his learning of one sugya about the sugya of Kiddush Hashem in Sanhedrin, uh, where he really demonstrates in great detail his method. And a quote from there, he says, Tikshor ben Torah Mada, inay tikshor ben chalkea nefesh shalanu atzmenu. The communication between Torah and science is the communication between it, different aspects of our soul. In other words, it's not just that we have Torah and we also have Mada. Uh, that would be a kind of dichotomy uh, that we might find from the Beit Midrash of Rav Hirsch or, or from Yeshiva University, and that somehow the two should complement each other. His feeling, and here we see much more the influence of Rav Kook, who he himself very much saw himself as a 
as a follower of and as a continuer of uh, the idea that there has to be some harmony between the disparate aspects of reality and there has to be a widening of, in a sense, of the idea of what Torah includes and that in order to properly educate and then meaningfully educate a modern or a Umi student, there was no way that you could bracket out what was going on in the outside world whether that be historical knowledge, scientific knowledge, or, or even, I would say, current events or philosophical and literary trends, and that the Torah had to be widened, in a sense, the study of Gemara had to be widened to include all of these things. And if that didn't happen, that uh, essentially you were creating people who were going through a mashbeer, a, a crisis, uh, often involving a lot of, uh, of guilt about why aren't I into this, why don't I enjoy Gemara learning, and uh, often tremendous frustration and uh, ending with people either leaving the yeshiva world or leaving the study of Gemara and going on for other more meaningful endeavors within Torah, or simply living uh, a feeling of, uh, of I, I go to the shiur, I learn this, but it doesn't really address my deeper concerns. You, you get the impression that he sees of integration of realian psychology and philosophy and Gemara, not just as a gimmick, not just as an excuse um, to keep people more interested. Sometimes in the discussion of, of the Gemara crisis in contemporary religious Zionist high schools, the, the sense of, you know, what, what rabbit can I pull out of the hat to make them more interested in this? You get the impression that he's convinced that this is a rich way of engaging in the ideas that are genuinely present in the Gemara, even though he's too much of a postmodernist to think that things are simply present in the text, but, but, but that he really thinks that the unique situation of the religious Zionist community and its dissatisfaction with having merely adopted some of the yeshiva attitudes creates opportunities for understanding things in the Gemara that are there and are present but are hidden by the ideology motivation of, of the previous schools. Right. Absolutely correct. He's certainly not here working as a pedagogue who's looking for a trick to keep the kids interested. Absolutely not. He's essentially defi- describing his own personal uh, journey through uh, the Lundish world that he was exposed to after growing up in the classic Israeli Datilumi B'nai Kiva scene, and then everything that he went through subsequently in finding his own path. So first of all, everything he's saying is for him absolutely uh, true. I met, and he was certainly known as a person who was 100% committed to the pursuit of truth, uh, even though, as we say, it often made him controversial. And maybe this would be a good time to describe a little bit more detail the methodology of how he actually uh, did work. Uh, in terms of incorporating um, Talmudic Mechkar, uh, Talmudic uh, academic study into the uh, Beit Midrash. Uh, maybe I'll give an example from uh, when I studied with him at the end of the last Shemitah, uh, eight years ago. We studied Shemitah Safim and Elul right before there was time to write the Prusbol. Um, here, I, I, there was a good example, but it was pretty much how he worked consistently. First of all, uh, he always began with an in-depth study of the Midrashi Halacha, of the Sifuda Tanait, of Mishnah Tosafta and Midrashi Halacha, and on to understand them on their own. And, and by the way, if you want to see a 
very clear example, just look at his Gemara Abu Chadmavid on the Sugi of Kiddush Hashem, he goes through everything very clearly. There was no idea that the Tanaim and the Amoraim and then uh, the Stamaim, to use the academic terminology, is all one thing. And there's really all uh, one layer of Talmudic understanding going on. It's all, it's all, uh, it's all the same. We wanted to understand very carefully what the Tanaim believed in, obviously within the Tanaim, what the Machlokot Tanaim were, how they learned those things from uh, Pshat in the Chumash. Only after seriously going through all the Midrashi Halakha and Tanaitic literature, then we would learn the Sugyas in the Gemara. And here as well, he was open to the Talmudic and, and aware of what was going on in Talmudic methodology to look at different strata within the Sugya, what were the early Amoraim, what were the later Amoraim, what was, what was eventually done by the editing of the Stamaim, uh, which are considered by many to be a, the latest strata, uh, although that's, we won't get into the technicalities of that at this point, and to understand at each point what the different uh, stages of development were within this. And he felt that often when you later on got to the Lundisha approach, that you could see that often, let's say, the Zweidinim, the two different opinions, two different ways of looking at something that we'd find uh, in a Brisker Torah, for example, that they had deeper antecedents in different Shittat Tanaim, for example, or different uh, stages in the Amor, uh, development within the Amoraim, so that there didn't have to be a conflict between them. Nonetheless, uh, you got to the Lundus only after the stage of understanding, first of all, engaging with the Gemara itself. He quotes from Shomel Fisher as saying, we don't learn Gemara, we learn Rishonim through the eyes of the Achroinim. Okay, so he wanted to also learn Gemara, and not only the Rishonim and the Achroinim, although he obviously did that as well uh, very, very uh, carefully, but uh, first of all, you had that uh, more historic or academic, more systematic approach of we have to learn each historical stage and not try to cover up the fact that there's a, a development going on here. Uh, after that, and, th- and that for often he would bring in also historical studies about the reality uh, that was going on at the time or, or, th- or other research about the, uh, the topic at hand from a wide uh, variety of topics. He also uh, was quite familiar with the religious anthropology and comparative religions and, and often would bring in things like that to try to understand what he, what he liked to call the phenomenology of the sukya or of the halakhic topic at hand. After that, going into the, uh, into the traditional lambdas, of which he there certainly was a great lambdan and often had his own, uh, and loved lambdas very much, and had his own chidushim uh, often, even though he felt that by itself it uh, had this problem of being, in a sense, artificial. And from there, going into looking for the, what he would call the mashmud, or the deeper meaning, to, he very much did believe that we need to make the Talmud study relevant to today's young people. He thought that it was reasonable to choose your mesachtot based on that, and not necessarily stick to the classic nashim, nazikin uh, thing, although he taught all of those things as well. Um, and uh, he felt that the, uh, after a person had looked at the sugya in the way that he did, that the person wouldn't feel that the lumbus was artificial, that they would see how, how it developed, where it came from. And then the chipusta uh, mashmaut, which would also include often comparisons to uh, sometimes existential philosophy or postmodern philosophy or world literature, uh, would be um, create a whole package that was meaningful, left a lot of room also for the students to to put their own input. In terms of the sugya of, of uh, Shemitah Ksafim, uh, it's important to bring in one other topic, which is, he saw here very much uh, social justice or ec- social ec- socioeconomic justice issues 
in terms of the remitting of debts, along with the background of other topics in Shemitah, like the, uh, the making of the land, uh, the produce free for everyone, and, and other things, that there was a real attempt to level the playing field between the wealthy and poor people. This is important to point out because another part of the areas that he was very active in was in uh, dealing with issues in modern Israeli society, not only technically what are usually seen as religious issues, but also uh, social justice kind of issues as well. Well, I, we're, we're unfortunately out of time because there is a great deal more to talk about. Uh, I would love to get into a conversation about the other side of his relationship with the academic world and his critique of, the, of, the, uh, of what he saw as a kind of alienation uh, a deliberate alienation on the part of academics. Uh, you're not going to let me close off, so we'll get another minute. Right, on just, this. just have to at least one sentence that that Rob Sugar definitely thought that the academic world, world was very lacking, and that it didn't have what he calls the concept of brit. And he felt that the main brit, the main covenant between Amisana Hashem, is through learning Torah, primarily Gemara, and that the academic world, is in, in general, obviously it's somewhat of a generalization, uh, was too uh, scientific and too, in a sense, cold. Uh, in terms of their approach to the text, looking at it only historically or, or, or deconstructing it in a way that that could provide a legitimate alternative for the Datilu Umi Yeshiva. So he felt that, that both the Yeshiva world and the academic world had different uh, problems. The proper synthesis of the two was really the key to a successful Gemara study in a meaningful religious way, as the book is called Limud Gemara Tepakashad Elohim, Learning Gemara is uh, Searching for God, that that was the way we had to go. Yeah, so I wish we could follow this up further because there's some very interesting uh, issues there. It would also, in some ways, Ha'ikar Chaser Minasefer, we didn't get a chance to talk about the pedagogic implications of what he's talking about, particularly for lower level students where, in the course of a high school classroom, you're not going to review all of the Sifrita Tanaim, the Tanaitic literature, before you. There's a number of issues that we can can get into, but it, it was certainly our goal here less to talk about everything there is to say about this extremely rich volume, and, uh, uh, and, but more importantly, to give a brief introduction for those English speakers who unfortunately have not had the opportunity uh, to be introduced to Rav Shadar and his thought-provoking and uh, invigorating writing. Um, so I would like to thank uh, Rabbi Dr. Leshem for joining us uh, today. Uh, this has been uh, Yoel Finkelman for another of Atid's uh, book review podcasts. Um, please uh, join us uh, in another month or so when we review another recent book uh, with implications for uh, religious education, Jewish religious education. Um, thank you very much. Thank you.